Today, I have the privilege of speaking on a conversation that is often very uncomfortable, and it's the conversation of pornography. And for those of you who uh, might hear that and cringe a little bit, I just kind of want to acknowledge the tension, and I want to acknowledge that it's uncomfortable. And I want to guarantee you that I'm more uncomfortable up here talking about pornography than you are sitting there or watching with us online. And I want to invite you into that tension together as we talk about something so necessary that not just the church, but the culture has gotten wrong in a lot of ways, but not necessarily because our knowledge um, or our approach was wrong in some ways, yes, but the last 25 years, so much has changed about this conversation. And that has been in part because of technology progressing and accessibility progressing. But you might be thinking, what does pornography have to do with family relationships, marriage, and singleness? And I would say everything. And that's what we'll talk about today and just learn. So I just kind of want to give you a roadmap for this conversation um, just so that you can, you know, prepare for what's coming. Uh, here in a minute, I'm going to just share kind of the theme passage. Then we're going to pray. Then I'm going to go into a lot of research and data, both Christian and secular. Then we're going to transition to talk about how pornography impacts our brain. And then go into what does God say then about pornography. And then end with seven next steps for healing, for you to be able to address in your relationships, your families, your singleness, and with your teens. And so if you do have kids, this conversation will be so important for you, regardless of their age. Um, Trevor and I have also talked this last week about introducing this conversation to the teens at some point in the wintertime. And so uh, that'll be coming up a little bit later, hopefully. Uh, this year. But um, before we get started, uh, I just kind of want to share this passage. Let's just dive right in. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Friends, free, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And before we pray, I just kind of want to give you just some encouragement. <clears throat> I want to invite you into this space filled with grace today, recognizing that this is a conversation that's often navigated with shame, and that's not my hope for today. My hope is that you walk out of this conversation feeling hopeful and filled with grace with some next steps to approach this topic in your life, in your friend's life, in your kid's life, in your parent's life, in your spouse's life. See, the difference, and, and because I hope that you feel convicted in certain ways, but not shameful, and the difference between shame and conviction both include guilt. Shame shackles us to that guilt and causes us to dwell there, while conviction, Holy Spirit-led, challenges us to heal from that guilt, learn from those mistakes, and take next steps in our walk. And so would you pray with me as we just invite the Holy Spirit into this conversation today? Holy Spirit, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your wisdom, for your fruit, 
that's cultivating in us through you, dwelling with you, God. I just pray, God, that this conversation would honor you and that you would speak through me and that regardless of wherever people are walking in their journey today, that they would walk away with some hope and some next steps to address this topic of pornography. In your name I pray, amen. Well, hey, I remember my first exposure to the porn industry. I was in fifth grade, and my dad had dragged me to the Porn and Pancakes Conference. Has anyone ever heard of the Porn and Pancakes Conference? <laughs> Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. This, was, this is a nationwide movement through Triple X Church that for years and years and years was going around to different cities, inviting men and their children to come talk about pornography. And I was a fifth grader, had no idea really what this was about, but they stuffed us with pancakes so that we all committed the sin of gluttony before talking about pornography, the sin of sexual morality, which we're going to talk about in a second. It was kind of counterintuitive, but two negatives make a positive. And so I was in this conversation with my dad, and I was a fifth grader. And it was really, as I was talking to some of the guys out um, after first service who were also at that conference, it was really a conversation that they had designed for older men, for like 20 years old and older, ignoring women completely, which we'll talk about in a second. But for young, young children, I remember walking away absolutely fearful, terrified, and filled with shame about this conversation. It made me sick because of how it was. And my dad actually pulled me aside afterwards. He said, hey, Joe, I just want to let you know, especially at your age, there's a different approach to that conversation. Okay, but pornography does exist. I then fell um, or stumbled upon <clears throat> my first exposure to pornography in seventh grade with YouTube. And I remember as I stumbled upon, quote unquote, um, finding it and using it on YouTube. And then just an hour later, my mom took me to Campus Life, a ministry that still exists, part of Youth for Christ throughout the world and goes to different schools and um, implements kind of a ministry in the school and an outreach in the school. And so an hour as seventh grader, hour after stumbling and, and my first time ever being exposed to pornography firsthand, then going and I was just filled with so much incredible shame. But that shame didn't prevent me from doing it again. In fact, the very next day, I spent the entire day at school fantasizing about the videos I had seen and watched and then went home to stumble again and again and again and would be stumbling for the next 10 years until I was a sophomore in college, uh, November 3rd, 2015, when I was able to surrender and start healing from my pornography addiction. And it's a conversation, as I was saying, that has changed so much over the last 25 years because of our accessibility with technology. And for the longest time, we approach this conversation by saying this is a male-only battle. And in part, the data 35 years ago supported some of that bias. But it wasn't the case. And in doing so, I believe that we pushed women aside. And now, in 2022, according to Fight the New Drug, 92% of men have either used or continue to use pornography, and we're now up to 62% of women have used or continue to use pornography. Research is showing that the average age for a male of using pornography, the average age is now nine years old, and for a female, a girl is 11 years old. 
That's just the average. And so this is a conversation that is so important for us to have. I want to walk through quite a bit of different research and data and statistics, all in an effort to just share with you that, hey, you're not alone in this conversation. And if you are struggling, or if your child is struggling, or your parent, or your significant other, or your friends, this is so important. Let's just walk through some of the data. Here we go. 60% of church-going men view pornography regularly in 2022, and 87% of Christian women have viewed porn at least once. 50% of American Christian pastors view pornography regularly. Now, that's not permission to decipher which of us pastors are using pornography regularly. It just goes to show that this is a struggle even amongst female leaders and male leaders who are leaning into God. Next one, 55% of married men and 25% of married women view porn at least once a month. And that directly correlates to point number four. 56% of American divorces involve one party at least being obsessed with pornography. Next one. The age group with the largest porn consumption is 12 to 17-year-olds per covenant eyes, and we'll talk about why that is in a second. And 49% of young people who first viewed pornography before the age of 13. So we've got all of that data, and there's so much more. I mean, teenagers, 9 out of 10 boys um, are exposed to pornography before the age of 12. 6 out of 10 girls now, 60%, are exposed to pornography before the age of 13. It's just this is going running more and more rampant because of our accessibility. Some of you are like, whoa, Jordan was exposed to pornography on YouTube. Back in my day, we only had magazines. Like, this is, the conversation has shifted so much. And the statistics reflect that. But it's not just the church statistics that are frightening and and just also encouraging because it, it, it lets us know that we're not alone. But the damage and the destruction that pornography has in the secular realm from the from the scientific realm on your brain is astronomical. So I want to walk through now some of the data of how pornography impacts your brain. This is all secular data from the book, The Brain on Porn. I do not suggest this book. It's a very graphic book, and I um, just, you know, turned to it to get some research, but I did struggle with it and had to put it away at times to take a break. Um, But let's walk through some of how uh, how does porn impact the brain. Number one, porn consumption leads to increased risk of suicide ideation, and self-harm. Number two, regular porn users are often diagnosed with social anxiety, low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, difficulty concentrating, feeling lethargic, and ED, erectile dysfunction, which we'll talk about here in a second. Number three, sexual arousal. This should blow your mind. Sexual arousal and addictive drugs share neurological mechanisms meaning porn has some of the same effects on the brain as meth, heroin, and cocaine. As hard drugs, porn damages and destroys the brain, sometimes permanently, but often you can rewire and heal from it, as hard drugs do. Number four, and this correlates to the the teen exposure, most people start watching porn during puberty. Why? Why? Because their brains are at the peak of dopamine sensitivity, 
plasticity, which plasticity is, is such a fascinating science, and, and neuroplasticity is basically, in its simplest terms, what you focus on becomes what is natural to you. So if you wire your brain to focus or to do or are exposed to things A, B, C, D, often time and time again, then you're literally wiring your brain or your body to crave some of those things. So if you uh, fear things very easily, then you're wiring your brain to be filled with anxiety. But the flip is also true. You can heal from that. But that is at its peak in puberty. And then lastly, and vulnerability to addiction and sexual tastes. And so that's all of the, that, not all of the data, that's all I had time for. And so it begs us to ask the question that you've probably asked yourself and that society is kind of just pushing aside. It's these three words. Is pornography bad? Is pornography bad? And the data actually shows most people, most people answer that question yes. You actually can't, you can't deny the data. You can't deny the research. Most people logically understand that pornography isn't necessarily a healthy thing and yet still engage in it. And then the question I got this last week is this, is pornography bad for spouses if they agree to watch it together? Which is very common today. And friends, the answer is still yes. In fact, it's probably more damaging in different ways. And some of you might be thinking like, okay, we use pornography to spice up our sex life. We use pornography because we have a hard time becoming aroused. The research and the science is showing that pornography actually causes erectile dysfunction for men and sexual arousal uh, desensitizing it for women. You actually are hurting yourself in the long run engaging in this. That aside, not only is it wrong because of that, and it has the same damages on the brain between spouses, but you're damaging your view of intimacy with one another. You're damaging your view of how sex should be. Porn sex is fake. I remember when I was addicted to pornography thinking marriage is going to be freaking awesome. And then it's the exact opposite. And that shouldn't surprise you or make you cringe because porn sex is completely fake. It's Hollywood. I also remember thinking that as soon as I got married, the temptation and addiction would go away. Not the case. So if you're sitting there waiting for marriage because you can have sex seven, eight, nine, 20 times a week, doesn't happen. <laughs> and so it's a conversation that I just want you to begin having with yourself. How can we heal from this? The research and the data shows one thing. But then let's see about what Jesus says, because Jesus directly talks about pornography. He says it this in Matthew chapter 5. Here's what he says. You have heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. And throw it away. So for all of our, uh, us Christians who like 
are hoping this isn't literal. Can you imagine, like, we just showed up to the office one day and we see someone with a blind patch on, you're like, huh, you too? Like, you know, like, you know, like, gouge it out. Like, thankfully, this isn't literal. But can you imagine if that was what? But then Jesus takes it a step further. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You see, Jesus, he was so ahead of his time. So ahead of science because he was showing us what science is now proving is that there is something damaging about pornography and lust. And he says, male and female, if you even look at someone lustfully, it is committing adultery. So is pornography bad? Yes. And that's often where the conversation has stopped. That's often where the conversation has stopped. But that's where I want to begin the conversation. From that place. And now we're going to move into the section of the sermon where we're going to be like, okay, if pornography is bad, how do we heal from it, learn from it, grow from it, and move on from it? So here's what we need to do. We all need to take a breath. Actually, I need a breath because, you know, we just, we just had a lot of stuff. I know that's heavy, but it's so uncomfortable and so important for us as the church, as Christ followers, as parents, as spouses, as singleness, as friends, as family members, for us to understand the weight of this struggle. Because for so long, we've just said pornography is bad. Don't do it. And that method just doesn't work anymore. There's things that we have to address and learn from and heal from. And so the title for this message today is We Are Image Bearers. We are image bearers. And here's where this idea comes from. I want to put this idea on. And this is so important that you understand this. We can't fight pornography and lust without rewiring our understanding that our beauty is rooted in being image bearers of God. That has to be the starting place, friends. Unless you get to a place where you understand whose image you bear, you will not be able to heal from pornography. You have to begin literally rewiring your brain, whether it's an addiction from 20, 30 years ago, or it is something that you are still walking through and navigating now in your life, in your marriage, in your singleness, with your friends, with your kids. Start them young, reminding them whose image they bear. Because pornography, like I was saying earlier, fake sex. Pornography displays a fake image. But we begin to become exposed to that image and believe that this is how it should be. And it causes so much destruction in our lives. Here's where this verse comes from. Genesis 1:27. God says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Friends, it isn't supposed to be this way. TikTok is running rampant with pornography. Instagram's running rampant with pornography. Netflix running rampant with pornography. It's not just on graphic websites anymore. It's coming and becoming more and more accessible in our lives. And unless we put it aside and begin to heal from it, we won't be able to fight back. 
And if you've engaged with pornography, like I was saying earlier, this is one of those things where stepping away from it, research has shown, will start to rewire your brain and start to heal from some of the damage done, but it's a process. It's not going to be fixed overnight. And so you're going to have relapses and you're going to have struggles, and that's where the grace comes in. That's where I want to invite you into that grace and that conversation. So here's what we're going to do for the remainder of the time today. This is my favorite part of the sermon. I want to provide you with seven ways that you can heal from pornography. Whether you are using pornography, you know someone who is, you're a parent raising kids, a lot of this stuff is going to be extremely helpful for you regardless of the age, whether you are engaging and using pornography still in your singleness. Whatever the case may be, this is to become the healthiest image bearers of God that you can. And so here are seven things. I also want to do a disclaimer. I, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm going to later on in the next couple of weeks dive into some of these a little bit deeper and explain a couple more ways that we can heal because there's probably 30, 40, 50 things that we can do, okay? But I just don't have time for that today. And so I'll do a couple four or five minute videos um, that I'll post on our, our social media pages in the next couple of weeks. But these seven, they're just a starting place for you to be able to analyze and address the conversation. And so number one, okay, this has to be the foundation. It, it directly associates from our theme for the day of being image bearers of God. It's number one, you have to believe that God deeply loves you. Because if you establish a position of shame and fear and dismissal from God, you'll never begin to heal from this battle. You have to begin to rewire your brain, your imagination, your understanding that you are God's beloved, that he deeply wants intimate relationships with you. And that is something that can't be replaced by pornography. I'll talk about this book more at the end. Um, it's been incredibly, uh, you know, helpful for me. I'll talk about it in a second, but um, some of this research and these healing points come from this, this book called Unwanted by Jay Stringer. And here's a quote that comes from it because here's the grace and the truth. You ready for this? The gospel tells us that our belovedness, our deeply lovedness from God will never change based on our wanderings. There's nothing you could do to change God's love for you. But our belovedness is designed to change our wanderings. So friends, here's the reality. This is the hard truth. If you are a Christ follower, and I would say there's enough secular data and research to say Christ follower or not, if you want to be the healthiest version of yourself, we need to begin healing from pornography. It's, it's not a, well, I have some excuse. No, they, we're literally damaging our brain, our life, and our view of intimacy. And so this is what the, I love about this quote. He's saying, hey, there's nothing you could ever do to damage God's love for you. But because of your belovedness, it needs to change where you wander. It needs to change your scrolling. It needs to change your searching, your craving. That's where we have to start. That feels a lot like, just don't watch porn. <laughs> so I wanted to start there because, again, this is just the beginning now. We're now moving into six key next steps you can do to find why pornography is so rampant in your life. Okay, number two, here we go. Identify the trend. 
Identify the trend. Three words I want you to memorize. It's going to be very difficult, but I believe you can do it. Identify the trend. Pornography is never used just for pornography's sake. That seems so countercultural that we maybe have grown up believing, thinking that we're watching or engaging in pornography just because it feels good. Pornography, research backs this up, stems, always stems from something, which we'll talk about in the next point. But here's what I want to focus on with this one. Identify the trend. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Whether you struggle with pornography, whether a family member does, a friend does, your child does, here's what I want you to do. Next time you or they feel tempted to engage and use pornography, I want you to ask them to make a chart of the 24 hours leading up to when they were exposed to pornography, when they wanted to use it or when they did use it. Walk through hour by hour what occurred. And you'll start to see then, as you do this a couple times, there's almost always a common theme leading up to struggling with pornography. Sometimes it stems from anger. Sometimes it stems from sadness, different emotions, frustrations. Sometimes it stems from work. Um, and sometimes it stems from idolatry. Sometimes it stems from deeper things, which we're going to talk about here in point number three. But I want to encourage you to begin healing. You have to identify the trend. You can't just come to the terms with, I just struggle with porn because it's porn. So often, actually, there always is a trend that leads up to this. And this is pretty much the case for all sins that we might take part in. Next step, number three. Address the root. Address the root. This goes hand in hand with number two. What we are learning from psychology and from different sciences and studies is that I'll just kind of name off quite a bit of data and just different correlations and, and, and soils that kind of mature the ground for the, the lust to grow. Um, if you are a parent who is disengaged from your child's life, your child is 79% more likely to engage in pornography. So if you are prioritizing work or other things and aren't prioritizing your child's life, you are setting them up to engage in pornography. Another one, parents who are rigid household rulers. Okay, we're, we're, I just want to prepare you. We're about to step on some of the toes of the parents. Okay, just know this is from a place of grace. Um, but I want to kind of reframe this conversation for parents specifically and how they handle this with their kids. But parents who have rigid rule household followers thinking A, B, C, black and white and don't allow their kids freedom, their kids have an 80% more likely chance than kids who had freedom in their household to struggle with pornography. And for all of my black and white rule followers, that statistic drove you crazy. Okay, we're going to talk about boundaries here in a second in the next one. I'm not saying don't have boundaries, but rigid rural households have an 80% more chance. Uh, parents who are divorced, their kids are exponentially more likely to struggle with pornography and those significant others. Families where there was an affair that took place or infidelity or adultery, their kids are much more likely to engage in pornography. Where there is sexual abuse or trauma, Physically, sexually, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, trauma in someone's past 
that person is exponentially, astronomically more likely to engage in pornography. The list goes on and on and on and on. But there's always a soil that deepens the root growth. And so if any of those common things of abuse, of addiction, of broken families, hurting families, rigid household, if you're like analyzing all of these things, you're like, we checked off three of the boxes. Again, no shame. It just, I want to encourage you to start having that conversation. Then how do we heal from this? Okay, number four, replace shame and punishment with grace and boundaries. And again, for the longest time, punishment when it comes to pornography, especially for kids, was the method that we believed would influence our kids to just give up porn. Research and data prove that that method is completely ineffective. And here, I want to explain it this way. Imagine that you engage in the sin of gluttony, okay? You just eat a lot of food. And then you punish yourself by saying, I'm just going to not eat food for a week. What happens? You starve. You starve. The same thing happens with our sexual desires. Because just by simply removing it as a punishment, you're teaching two things, shame and fear. And for the longest time, what we did and what my parents did with me is, and this is why it's so counter to how we think is, well, they did something so damaging that I told them not to and they watched porn, so I'm gonna take their phone away. Friends, what happens is as soon as they get their phone back, they're fine to work around. It doesn't take away the struggle. It deprives them of a healthy way to release that energy. And so the last part of this is so important. Replace it with grace and boundaries. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying just let them do whatever they want. Establish healthy boundaries with them. And when your children specifically stumble, or if you stumble, shame and punishment don't work. They're not healthy tactics. You have to ask the deeper questions. So then you might be asking, okay, well then again, how do I do that? By identifying the trend and focusing on that, by identifying the pattern, by addressing the root, and in some cases, many cases, finding professional counseling. That's how you're able to address some of that. And then establish healthy boundaries. Put up some blocks. Put up some accountability. Have that conversation. But simply by taking the phone away or by punishing them, grounding them, for it doesn't work. In fact, it has the reverse effect on the brain. Number five, re-engage with society. This is something we have been driving home ever since COVID. Community, community, community. Here's a quote from this book, Unwanted. It says this, lust blooms in the soil of disengagement. Like I shared earlier, 79% of kids with parents who are disengaged are that much more likely Sorry, kids with parents who are disengaged are 79% more likely to walk through porn. And it's because we weren't designed to do this life alone. Have accountability, have friends, lean into the church, recognize the statistics that 60% of Christian men and 87% of women have viewed porn once in their lifetime and 60% of Christian men view porn regularly. This isn't a lonesome battle. Re-engage with society. Number six, 
establish healthy substitutions for pornography, okay? This one immediately correlates to the take away the punishment aspect of things and replace it with healthy boundaries, healthy substitutions, okay? There's data that shows that only 27% of pornography users practice self-care. And the book defines self-care by people who exercise, eat healthy, and have friends. Only 27% of pornography users exercise, eat healthy, and have friends. Establish healthy substitutions for pornography. If you're just going to go cut and dry and try to take pornography away and eliminate it from your life without replacing it with something healthy, you're going to fail. It's the same thing with food. If you're like, hey, I'm going to replace all the unhealthy food that I eat. Well, you need to replace it with healthy food or you're not eating anything. It's the same thing with our bodies. Our bodies crave sexual desire. And in fact, as we'll talk about in the last point, sexual desire is a God-given gift. The desire in and of itself is God-led, is God-inspired. We crave intimacy. So honor God by establishing healthy substitutions for pornography. Last one, and this is just for parents, regardless of what the age of your child is. Number seven, normalize talking about sex in a healthy and loving way. Too many times, parents only focus on the sin and prohibition of sex. That's the only time they talk about it. It's the only time my parents talked about it. And this isn't to dog my parents. They were incredible. I ended up, though, in growing up in the, the time of purity culture in the early 2000s, which was this trendy, trendy phrase in the early 2000s where the church was sex before marriage is wrong, it's sinful, you're going to hell, you're going to burn. And that seems like an exaggeration, but it was that much fear and shame instilled. And my first year of marriage, I had to go to counseling because I had a fear of sex. That's what that did to me and so many other young people. Because the only time that I was talked to and around, my view of sex was from pornography, but then talked about was in a sinful way. Like, don't do this because of that. Here's some statistics for you. Research shows with 3,800 men and women found that 50% of moms and 60% of dads don't discuss sex with their kids at all. And so what happens? Then their kids only view and learning and education of sex comes from pornography. And then that becomes their view of how intimacy is supposed to be. Friends, here's, here's kind of this book. Um, there's so many different books and resources. I, I listened to multiple sermons and different podcasts and read a couple different, you know, blogs and things, books. This book is, it's called Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. And it's a book that the Church of God, the movement that our church is a part of, um, suggests. It's incredibly written, filled with so much data and research and healing methods. Um, I got halfway through it this week, and then I had to stop reading it, and I have to finish it afterwards because I'm like, there's too much in it. I, my brain wants to talk on this topic for, for a whole series, Okay. And I needed to stop because there's that much good stuff. But if you're looking, if you're thinking, if you're feeling, if you've been abused, if you have some trauma, if you have things in your past, wherever you might be on this conversation, you can begin the healing process today. Pornography is destructive. 
but there's hope and there are ways to heal. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, mother us with your compassion, your grace, your strength. Holy Spirit, guide us uh, and lead us, Lord. You're so good. It's such an uncomfortable conversation, and yet, God, you are here, and I thank you for this conversation. I just lift you up and pray, God, that every single person here or listening online would feel encouraged and say, you know what, I can do this. Not alone, but we can do this together. Now, we can begin healing from this.